something we talked about, especially quite a bit early on, is this idea of like pioneer versus settler. So forget whether or not they have industry expertise or not. There are certain folks like Kevin and I who are just sort of built for blazing new trails, uh, not necessarily for building the town when we find a place to settle, right? So early on, you end up looking around, not even intentionally, you sort of attract, you know, folks like you early on. And, you know, a year into this thing, you look around and go like, holy crap, there's no one here to settle what we just, you know, the, the, the path we just blazed. Hey everybody, welcome back to Founder Vision with Clearview. I am Brett Kissler, your host, and today I'm also with Brian Gupton, who is our uh, VP of Sales. Today I'm speaking with Tim Metzner and Kevin Mackey. They are both co-founders of Coterie Insurance. Tim is the Chief Strategy Officer and Kevin is the COO. How are you doing today, gentlemen? Very well. Great. Yeah, Excellent. thanks for having us. It's fun to get to do a podcast together for once. Always. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to be doing one where we have multiple guests and multiple interviewers. This is our first iteration on this, and we're just going to see how this goes. Should be fun. Awesome. We won't be. Uh, we won't take it personally if you don't do this again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, let's get started. Uh, Tim or Kevin, which one of you would like to talk about what Coterie Insurance is and how you got to doing what you're doing? Sure. Happy to. Yeah. So Tim Metzner, like you said, co-founder, chief strategy officer and serial uh, entrepreneur. So like Kevin, uh, I've been starting companies uh, basically since college and as I tell people, I've never had a real job because of that. So um, what led me down this path was having been in technology my entire career. Um, I'm always looking for opportunities to better leverage data and technology to kind of change existing markets. So whereas there are the Steve Jobs of the world and the Henry Fords who are creating white space, brand new opportunities that, that no one sees, I'm more of a guy who sees an existing market and sees opportunity to leverage, you know, new tools, new kinds of technology to kind of change how that space operates. So that's what led me into insurance, um, really seeing that you could look in any direction in insurance and build a data or technology first organization. That's exactly what we're doing at Coterie. So we're using technology to change the way commercial insurance is done. So for us, if we can simplify the process of gathering the information we need to underwrite, price and bind insurance, so that that entrepreneur, that business owner can get a policy in a couple minutes instead of a couple of days, that's a massive win for us. So we look at, regardless of where an entrepreneur or business owner wants to get an insurance policy, we want Coterie to be the easiest option and we want it to be available anywhere it makes sense. So that's what we're trying to do is simplify business insurance for the small business owner. Simply put, we just believe that you can get way more efficient at risk transfer by leveraging data that already exists and creating a much better customer experience at all levels of, of really the value chain. Hmm, fascinating. Uh, how do you how do you step into an industry that has existed for so long and you know have have sort of the the confidence to go in and change it and to believe that you could do better? Yeah, I, I'll start. And Kevin, you, you jump in. You have a viewpoint on this as well. But for me, I think it's. I always talk about the unique blend of insurance expertise and non-insurance expertise. So the combination of insurance plus technology expertise. So Kevin and I do not come from insurance land. And while I believe that's a huge advantage to starting this company, if not for our other co-founder, David, who's an actuary and has been in insurance his entire career, 
we would run into roadblock after roadblock and Hmm. probably would have never gotten out of the gate. And so whereas I think you classically see a couple of sort of tech guys try and disrupt an industry that they know nothing about, uh, or you see industry experts trying to change it, like I don't think either of those, at least in this space, works super well. I think it is this interesting blend of folks who don't know enough, so they're going to ask questions at every turn of the way and kind of challenge the status quo. And also people who understand like this is a heavy, heavily regulated industry and market. And there are certain things you just have to do in order to get get to market, quite frankly. Absolutely. Mm. A couple of other pieces on top of that are going to be experience. Uh, so Tim and I, as Tim had mentioned, so quick uh, background on myself uh, by trade or I guess by education, I'm a finance and accounting person. Started off my career as a buy side equity researcher, which is the fancy way of saying I was recommending clients to buy stocks. Um, really liked that, but was drawn into entrepreneurship. And so for me, it kind of comes down to I just I'm an analyst by nature. Uh, I love analysis and at a startup company, you're constantly looking at new things. So uh, having started business, businesses in the past, that makes me a consumer of insurance. That makes me essentially empathetic with our customer base, similar to Tim mm. and similar to many other of the entrepreneurs and founders that we have on staff here. So we deeply understand the problem that we're trying to solve. Uh, and what's ironic is that we can't insure ourselves So we're still having to fill out the paper forms and the back and forth. I just did one earlier today. It was eight pages. You know, this is what we're trying to disrupt more so than even the blocking and tackling of just filling out insurance policies. It's accuracy. It's confidence. How much should I be paying for this thing? Is it going to insure me if something bad happens? These are the types of things that we think that we can fundamentally change just through a better experience and through the data that we have available to us. So that's how I would say not being involved in insurance uh, but still being kind of the customer of insurance has given us a very unique uh, view into how mm-hmm. to solve the problems without having, you know, the baggage of being in the industry before. So I'm curious, like, how does that um, that impact um, your approach to building sort of the initial team and specifically regarding, you know, how much mixture of when you're when you're looking at an applicant to fill a position of are you looking for people that have a lot of industry experience or are you also looking um, or are you primarily looking for people that don't because it gives you sort of a unique advantage in um, uh, being able to, 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 to know uh, what um, the, that the person isn't bringing a lot of industry baggage to the table as far as what can and cannot be done. Yeah, Tim, I think I'll start because uh, actually, Brian, the answer is going to depend on what stage of the company we were. So this, you know, being a podcast about founders and about the progression of the business, maybe my answer 18 months ago or 24 months ago would have changed. Because initially, when you only have four or five or six people, you do want those disruptors that are able to think, you know, cliche speak, but outside of the box. You want them to be able to say, here's the long term vision of where we're going. We need to start to set ourselves up in that way. But we want to do so with a bend towards what the future technology infrastructure is going to be. Uh, You know, a little bit of internal lingo, but we talk about microservices. Microservices is something that is very clearly talked about in startup land, you know, more modern engineering. Microservices aren't something that historically have appeared within larger insurance carriers. So simply by us being able to have those types of conversations with our early employees, it has helped us understand when do we need to have the important insurance person that is also right there adjacent to the engineering person. Last thing, and then I'll turn it over to Tim, because I know that culture is really important to both of us. We have really tried to set a culture where in the insure tech space, we listen to those opposite of ourselves. If I am an insurance person, I really need to be listening carefully 
to what our engineers are saying, simply so that we can have that appropriate communication. So we've tried to foster a culture where we listen to each other and we really say, if we hire great professionals, we should have the respect of asking a question and then kind of sitting back and listening to the answer and then coming together on what the best solution is. Yeah, no, that's well said, Kevin. And I would just add, I think something we talked about, especially quite a bit early on is this idea of like pioneer versus settler. So forget whether or not they have industry expertise or not. There are certain folks like Kevin and I who are just sort of built for blazing new trails uh, not necessarily for building the town when we find a place to settle, right? So mm. early on, you end up looking around, not even intentionally, you sort of attract, you know, folks like you early on. And, you know, a year into this thing, you look around and go like, holy crap, there's no one here to settle what we just, you know, the the, the path we just blazed. Uh, so you start looking for folks like both in insurance and outside of insurance who are really good at like establishing process and system and really like growing and maintaining the thing we just, you know, had built so that it doesn't just stagnate and fall apart as we like always look at the kind of shiny new objects. So I think it's both the balance of sort of how wiring, like how an individual is wired and kind of the need for both those skill sets, as well as that balance of industry expertise and not uh, across really all functions. So I'm curious, just as a follow up on that with, uh, um, you know, you talked about yourself being a pioneer. Or do you have any sort of tricks in your interviewing process when you're hiring people out of the industry for making sure that they are going to also have a little bit of that pioneering spirit as well? Yes, when we're looking for pioneers. <laughs> so I think that's honestly like one thing we try and be careful of is just sort of uh, understanding our bias. Like yeah. as a pioneer, I have a bias for hiring pioneers. That's not always a great thing though. Like I have to understand like in this role, do I need someone who's really going to look at sort of creating a new opportunity, taking new ground, charging the hill? Or am I really looking at someone who's going to actually come behind them and, and sort of settle? So depending on what role we're looking for, I will ask different questions about like background, experience, work style, like managerial style, like what gets them excited. So there's sort of a, you know, a slew of questions we can ask kind of depending on what that looks like. Most of it, though, is like, just get them talking, like, tell me stories about your past and what you've done. And I can start to piece together, like, how are you wired? Um, because that's also, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things you have to screen for is like, are you going to make it in a startup environment? <laughs> like, if you're a settler, uh, and you've never been in a startup environment before, like, it's going to be chaotic. And, and probably, you're going to be pulling your hair out if you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. And so, like, being clear up front about you know, expectation setting around the role, around the kind of person we need to be successful here, as well as just what's the environment like, I think are really important things to do early on. Yeah. One uh, tactical thing um, for some roles, and these do lean towards more operational roles where it's very difficult to hear someone say something and then be like, can they actually do the job? Um, and that is where we're at an inflection point where right now we definitely want talent that is going to uh, kind of have that combination of settler and pioneer in them. But how are you able to tell if somebody is just saying they can do the job versus doing it. So uh, we do what we call experiential exercises. Don't like to call them an assignments. No one wants to be given an assignment before they've even started at a company. So we do an experiential exercise and we, pro we provide some pretty transparent instructions and basically saying you do not have to do perfect work. No one is expecting for you to do perfect work because we don't want you to spend that much time on it. But what I will ask you in the interview is tell me exactly what you were thinking from the moment you started reading these instructions until now. And then walk me through the approach that you took with, and usually it's an asset that is created, whether it's a spreadsheet, a document, a PowerPoint or something. Because again, 
It is how do you think about this approach? How do you communicate your approach? And through that type of real world experience, even taking the pressure off, usually you're going to be able to get a, a pretty good feel for how someone works. Uh, there's a story uh, that I like to tell. Uh, last year, we went through uh, a pretty good hiring torrent where we hired a lot of vice presidents and directors, kind of those doers who would have the vision to be able to then kind of backfill themselves with more repeatable roles. So we had a position open for a director of customer advocacy and a director of operations. Uh, we ended up hiring a fantastic person. And in the interview with that individual, about 20 minutes in, because she was interviewing for one of the roles, I said to her, why wouldn't you, if you were me, combine these roles and make it a director of operations and customer advocacy? And her response was, you should, and you should pick me. And so I took her through both experiential exercises, and she willingly did both of them and did a great job. I mean, to me, she was so far ahead of all the other great candidates that we were able to kind of consistently say, you know what, all these other ones are really good, but like, this is exactly what we need. And I don't know if we've been able to get there without that real world kind of tangible exercise. Yeah, fascinating. I, I like how how you're, you describe this difference between, I mean, this is sort of something that I've, I've called like order Muppets and chaos Muppets, um, where you, you have people who are ready to come in and just think new ideas and disrupt things. And that also just tends to be what they do. And that might be the hammer that they have that they see everything as a nail and hit it with. And so as you're, as you're starting a startup, you have a lot of this like, uh, you know, chaos energy to just disrupt. And as you start to grow, you want to backfill it with somebody creating processes, you know, building building sustainable processes more than they are just questioning everything. And I even see that in sort of the way that you're approaching the industry too, because among your founding team, you have somebody who, you know, has a foot in insurance, has a foot in the existing structures. And I'm really curious how you communicate as a team when you inevitably come up against these these frictions where there's something that your other co-founder says that, well, you know, there's this can't be changed. People have tried to change this a million times in insurance. And then you're like, but we could change this. And then there must be some points where there's just this this kind of butting heads of the the old system and the attempt at disruption. And how do you how do you approach those conversations to make sure that you get the maximum uh, maximum integration of these perspectives? Yeah, Tim, you do a good job of this. Why don't you start? Yeah, happy to. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of it is we set, uh, Kevin said this already, like early on, we sort of laid the foundation for health, healthy questioning. Like not, there are no sacred cows here. Like anything is on the table. You can question, you can, you know, jump in and, and disagree. Um, we have to make time and space for that to happen. One of our core values is humility. Another one is intelligence. Two of those work together really well because what it says is like, look, the intelligent thing to do and the humble thing to do is to assume you're you probably don't know at all and to want to learn from your counterpart in another division with a different background a different expertise um and you can think about that not just across like diversity of of background but diversity of you know person you know you think about like racial diversity and racial equity and things like that like we try and bring that all to the table and say like there are different backgrounds and experiences that will lead you down a different rabbit hole than I would go down myself. And if I don't at least hear you out on that and understand where you're coming from, I can't use that to make a better informed decision if I'm the leader and in, in, in sort of the, the person who's making the call at the end of the day. The other side of that is, and, and Kevin talks a lot about this, like having explicit authority, like knowing that if Kevin's the person who's calling the shots, at the end of the day, after I've had a chance to have my say, 
even if I don't agree with Kevin, we're going to disagree and commit. <laughs> like mm. I'm going to get behind him. And I, and when we run into the first hurdle, I'm not going to say, I told you so. I'm going to say, how do we get over that hurdle? And I think mm. that's massive. Like if I don't have the time and space to air my point of view, it's really hard for me to go like, to not go, I told you so when we run into that, right? We're going to, we're going to have said, we talked about this. We knew there were going to be challenges with this path. Also, you're the right person to be making the, calling the shots on this thing. So I'm going to get behind you. I think having that balance of Kevin has to have the humility and the intelligence to like learn from others. And I have to have the humility and intelligence to believe he's the right one to make the shots and, and follow him when he says, we're going, we're taking this hill. Absolutely. That, uh, that turns into trust and again, listening. I mean, if you are, are hearing in between the things that me and Tim are saying, that's where a lot of the value is. And that is truly what we encourage our teammates and our leaders at the company to truly listen for. Uh, and so between the three of us, I think that it has turned into an intentional act of listening for what really matters to that person. Because while we are different people and have different approaches and experiences and philosophies, we are way more in line and have overlap in the things that we care about than not. And so in that circumstance, it actually makes it relatively easy to kind of sit back and listen and say, okay, knowing you and how you think about things, I think I understand what you're actually trying to say here. So it's going beyond mm -hmm. just the words. Part of that also is experience. And this is where Tim and Maya's experience in the past can help you really understand maybe the things you don't really need to care about. And I think that that shows up in ego. Now, ego is a very difficult thing as a founder because every founder has an ego. If you don't, then you're going to get crushed, honestly. Uh, you have to be able to have that. And that's where humility is an important thing for us because humility is simply just having confidence without objectively not, you know, we say, Thinking less of yourself and thinking of others more. Actually, Tim, I think I screwed that up. But nonetheless, it is if we're able to kind of not thinking less of yourself. What's that? Thinking of yourself less. That's it's exactly not right. thinking less of yourself, thinking mm. of yourself less. That's right? right. And so by being able to have that and ultimately being able to listen to each other, it means that usually we're able to bring kind of strong opinions. But when new information comes to light, then you make a decision based on the new information and not based on, like Tim had said earlier, either your bias or your previous experiences. You kind of have to take each thing as it is. Yeah, or defending your rightness. You guys have mentioned that you're both serial entrepreneurs. So I'm curious, like in, in the experience in building uh, Coterie and other companies, what are the actual stages of you know a technology-oriented startup? And how have you defined and redefined what success looks like at each of those stages as, as you built um, Coterie? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, we, could, we could probably pontificate on, on the answer to that in any number of ways. I mean, for us as a venture-backed business, not surprisingly, some of these things do flow with your, your funding. So we have gone through pretty traditional funding rounds. Uh, we had a C to C plus, an A, an, uh, an A plus, and uh, you know, we'll have a B at some point here. So, uh, you know, for us, things really do kind of ebb and flow based on the resources that you have available and the decisions that you have to make based on what you have at that time. Um, with that being said, there are, I don't know if you've read the book Blitzscaling, um, and that book I think does do a pretty good job of kind of describing, you know, at some points you're going to be a village and then you're going to be a city and then you're going to be this. Um, I don't follow that to the T because, you know, it does actually use numbers typically around the zeros. So, you know, 10 people is this, 100 people is this. And Generally speaking, that, that follows through, but it's the things that you're doing in between those stages. I had earlier talked about hiring directors and VPs, and the reason for that is because we, we as a company of 12, 13, 14 people about a year ago, 
we literally didn't have enough time in the day to do all the things that needed to be done. And we also didn't have enough money to hire all the resources that we thought that we would need to make the engine run. So that turned into a decision of how do we find the right people that can do it and have a big motor, won't burn themselves out and also think strategically so they can kind of build themselves into the future. I mean, that truly was us moving from what would be referred to as kind of the village into the city. But it feels different and it doesn't feel that stochastic when you're living through it. So, Tim, I don't know if you have any other experiences uh, along with that, but that was my experience. Yeah, I mean, the thing I would add there is like what I've read and now what what I think we're experiencing is like things start to break down at roughly every doubling. So at 25, what used to work starts breaking. At 50, what was working at 25 is no longer working. At 100, the things that were working at 50 start breaking down. Like, And I, we see these in sort of like process system. Really, though, what it is is communication, right? Like when you're 10 people in a room, it's so easy to stay aligned and to understand like exactly what everyone's working on and why they're working on it. When you're 50 people spread across the country with like multiple layers and levels of leadership, that gets a lot harder to do. So a, a lot of what you have to change is sort of how you communicate and how you reinforce you know, mission, vision, vision values at all levels of the organization, which is kind of easy to lose sight of, to be honest with you. Um, so, so I think that's been true from the people side of things as a startup. Like I really think about it as like, your job is really just like reducing risk at every step of the way. Like early on the risk is like, does the world want and need this thing you're proposing to build? Right. Like then you move into like, can you even get a first version of this thing built and get customer number one? And I think for us, what, what's been fun is the shift from like sort of risk of idea or risk that the world doesn't want and need what we're doing. And like, it's not entirely all in execution, but the risk has shifted to like, can we be the ones to do it? Like, clearly there's an opportunity here to do this. Like that's been validated. Uh, You know, we're growing rapidly. That doesn't mean we're going to win still. Like the risk is just now in, can we execute? Can we build the right team? Can we raise the right funding? Can we, you know, close the right customers fast enough to keep scaling this thing? And, And I think it's, it's fun to consider that shift of like uh, we went from being, are we crazy? (laughs) You know, are we just drinking our own Mm Kool-Aid to like, Oh no, this is the thing. Can we be the ones that actually pull this off? And that's, that's kind of a fun shift, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So as my, as my closing question, because we're coming in on on time here, how do you keep yourself grounded when you are, when you're going through this process where you're not just risking at the beginning, you're going through continuously changing risk and you manage to keep the momentum or at least the, like the internal energy reservoir available to be doing this serially. So it's, it's not that you've just done this one time and you're like, wow, I'm never doing that again. Um, <laughs> how, how do you keep the, the engine fueled and yourself grounded in this process? Yeah, I can start on that yeah, one. Yeah, please do um, too. <laughs> yeah, but for me, it's, it's like, it's missional. Like um, I, what I learned early on was, I fell in love with starting companies because I fell in love with creating jobs people loved. Like mm. I just realized you can both create value in the world, solve problems and solve problems internally. Meaning like all of a sudden people go from, I have a job to I'm coming alive in my career. And you start to see them like come alive in their personal lives. They become like better spouses and parents and community members and volunteers and like pick up hobbies that they had dropped. And I, freaking love seeing people come alive like in in the chance to do that by creating jobs they love i i fell in love with that so regardless of kind of what the company is i'm building like what led me down this path was like man you could create 
a really meaningful company that could have staying power and could create tons of jobs for people in the insurance category. Uh, so that's a big part of what motivates me is like continuing to look at the why behind this for me personally. And then like, you know, people don't love the term balance, but I always tell people at the end of the day, if like we build a billion dollar company, but I end up divorced with kids who hate me, like that's not success. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not intentionally investing in my family and my, the people around me, the same way I am in my employees and our company, like for me personally, that won't be a win. And I have to keep, you know, I have to keep chasing that number one. I have to have people who will call bullshit on me when I'm not like, I have to give my wife space. I have to give my, my internal friends and community space. I have to give Kevin space to say like, Hey, I see some stuff in you that you're saying is not who you want to be. What's going on there. And mm -hmm. so I have a community of people who can regularly do that for me. And, and I think that that keeps me sort of grounded, like for, in a, in a humble way of like, Hey, don't be that guy. Um, and, and, and also missional, like, Hey, remember you said, this is your why, like, are you still chasing that? So that that's it for me. Yeah. Hmm. What Tim just said right there to me is empathy through experience is that when you start businesses and you're the only one, or you're only one of two or three or very few number of people, that means the number of jobs and the number of roles that you have to have is basically everything in the company. And so after you do that a couple of times, you have the empathy for almost every person that's going to come in and do that job. And so as a result of it, to me, at least, you don't want to go back to those places where you've made mistakes, whether it's mentorship of other startups and entrepreneurs, whether it's your own team, if you can kind of give them education, that's why we're on this podcast. If we can help somebody learn and not do that thing or anchor in their own mind, like this thing that I'm thinking about, uh, our team says this sometimes is the lie that I'm telling myself is X. If we're able to help people get there faster and reduce that anxiety, increase that visibility, then people want to come to work. Uh, my version of what Tim had said is that after you know 10 plus years of doing this and employing people and being an employee, I really think that people want simplicity at work. They want to be able to contribute. They want to be able to flex their intellectual muscles. They want to do stuff that matters and they want to eliminate the bullshit. If we're able to create an environment where we do that for awesome professionals, that means you're going to attract more awesome professionals. And what you're able to do as a result of that is going to be different inherently than what has come in the past. And that's typically what keeps me alive every day. Interesting. Beyond, beyond empathy, what, what, what would you say are the most important qualities of a good entrepreneur? Should we do our passion, intelligence, integrity, and humility? Uh, <laughs> those are our core values. We genuinely believe in them. Um, and I do think that that plus respect uh, is what will make you know an entrepreneur successful. Now, Starting a business, running a business, having a successful business is usually the hardest thing that any one of us will do because of the invisible aspects of how difficult it truly is. You know, things change. Humans change. Humans have needs. So by kind of being vulnerable and allowing even us at the top of the organization to say, hey, we're human beings, too. We're going to take PTO. We expect you to as well. We're going to shut off and have nights with our families. We expect for you to as well. To be able to set that and to be able to say, we're really ambitious people, and yet at the same time, we're human beings. It allows for people to kind of bring themselves in a different way where their energy and their anxiety isn't focused on being perfect. It's on doing the best thing for themselves in the business. And that, to me, completely recreates the conversation. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I would add to that is like grit. Grit is always something I look for in people I hire and definitely people I consider starting a company with. It's like... You know, it doesn't mean you're going to work 100 hours a week every week. It means when you got to get through that wall, 
you'll stick with it until you get through that wall, whatever it takes. Um, and that might mean more hours at times. It might mean actually taking a break and thinking about it in a different way or bringing someone to the table who's got a bigger sledgehammer than you do. Yeah. And I think that's all part <laughs> of having, you know, both grit and intelligence um, and humility. So yeah, those, those are the, I think, key attributes that I look for. And um, I get not just in entrepreneurs, I think in, in, in employees in general. Hmm. As you're looking for for grit, how do you how do you discern the difference between someone with a lot of grit and someone with sort of a workaholism who's kind of creating struggle to push through? That's a good question. It's hard. Yeah, I I, I just ask about their why. Like, I, tell hmm. me about why you're working so hard. Like, if there's not deeper meaning and purpose beyond like I'm trying to make a bunch of money. Um, uh, to me, that's usually telling is mm -hmm. like, tell me about why you're working so hard at this thing or what drove you in that instance to want to work so hard at that. And then the other thing I always ask about is like, who have you helped along the way? Um, because I, I think gritty people oftentimes understand like being a solo artist is not the right approach. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I think there's this like misconception that like entrepreneurs can do it all and will do it all and they don't need anyone else. Like it's, I, I used to have this mentality. I, I talk about this, like this switch flipped in my life where like early on, I would have told you like, if it is to be, it's up to me. Like that was sort of my personal mantra. Like if, mm -hmm. if it's going to happen, it's going to, I'm going to pull myself up on my bootstraps and, you know, figure this thing out. Um, now I have a tattoo on my arm that says not, to, not on my power, not to my glory. I'm like, this thing isn't about me and it's not because of my own personal strength. Uh, I'm going to keep going because of, for me, you know, faith drives me in a lot of ways, but also like, because Kevin's here and Kevin has superpowers that I don't have that like, you know, me just banging my head against the wall isn't going to get me there. But when Kevin comes alongside me and says like, did you know there's a door right here? Like that actually is, that's a really gritty approach to like bringing people around you who can help you solve problems faster as well. So mm -hmm. I look at like the, us versus you know me versus us kind of mentality as well as the the personal why yeah it speaks a lot to the the personal journey of many founders which is a, a very common one is just that you have a childhood that somehow creates this idea of self-reliance and then because of self-reliance this, this was the case for me you know i was like okay i don't yeah. want to have what happened to my dad occur in a corporate world i don't want to be you know, in, in any of these systems that don't seem to work very well. So I want to be outside of the system. The only way to do that is to do my own thing. And then yes, you come back around through that journey and you discover like, yes, you can do your own thing, but it's not going to be very successful if it's just your own thing. You're only going to get so far without other people. And then it's this process of undoing all those layers of separation to, to let go of that like self-reliance, uh, like, tension and yeah. surrender to a group to uh to a team right. which is necessary early on right like there again like the thing that makes you great can also be the thing that brings you down so right. like understanding that fine line i think is uh important and sometimes it's a hard hard line to tell yeah and also staying in connection with yourself there's the the other side of that coin is like i like i just said surrender to a group which does that doesn't work well it's like Surrender to the fact that you need help <laughs> and also staying connected to, to yourself That's and right. to your team. I, I really like the way that you guys have embodied and described different facets of this on this podcast. And the, I, I, one, of the, one, of my, one of my favorite things that Kevin had said was uh, a phrase that you like to say, this is the story, this is the way that I'm lying to myself right now. <laughs> the lie I'm telling and, myself. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, the lie I'm yeah. telling myself. And I, I really love the culture that you seem to have created in your management team and the way that you bring it to your to your companies. And I'm really grateful for you sharing that with us today. I really, really enjoyed this this interview. And Brian, thank you for joining us also. And uh, this has been a really great iteration and experiment on this format. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.